Welcome back to Diferente. This episode is all about the struggle of chasing a dream and the opportunities that come when you're down and out. When you feel like the journey is over and you're ready to give it all up. Because the pain from continuing the chase feels impossible and the pain is just no longer worth it. I can't do this anymore. I wish I was satisfied with a simpler existence. I've heard myself say that out loud several times. And lately, the voice has gotten louder. And this is when you really have to push through and keep on swimming. Because the doubts, the lack of confidence, the loneliness in the journey, they will eat you up if you let them stick around too long. That's the state I've been living in over the past few months. A lot of fear, sadness, anxiety, and questioning if I'm enough. Questioning my talent, my passion, my purpose. If you've ever known the struggle of chasing a dream, I know you feel me. My guest this episode is my friend Irvin Ross. Irvin and I go way back, and when we had a chance to sit down while I was in LA, we talked about his experience in pursuing his passion for the arts as an actor. Irvin talks about something that's very familiar to many of us, learning to adapt and code switch between cultures without losing your unique personality. Ironically, Irvin spent most of his childhood trying really hard not to stick out, but his uniqueness eventually led him to the career he has today. Sound familiar? This funny man is also a great example of what life looks like when you don't waste opportunities. Bienvenidos! Welcome to Diferente! My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming at you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you stories and ideas related to life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Mr. Urban Ross. And I don't even know why I said Mr. Urban Ross. I know, right? Thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome to Diferente. Thank you very much for having me. We're out here in LA. Another great interview out here in LA. Beautiful scenic 20th floor. <laughs> enjoying the scenery and also enjoying each other's company because Urban and I have known each other for <laughs> many years. Yes, yes. So we were in high school when we met. Freshman year. Yeah, it was. It was freshman year. Yeah. So... Let's start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about how you grew up and where you grew up. Okay. Um, I am from, born and raised, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it's still, to this day, one of my favorite places ever, even though I don't live there anymore for very, very, very obvious reasons. Um, I guess it's not obvious to anyone else. <laughs> no, we haven't talked about that yet. <laughs> well, then, it'll be obvious by the end of this. You'll understand exactly why I left, but why I also go back. Like, I grew up out there, and which was strange being one of the only minority families in the entire, like, school. Uh, that was awesome. <laughs> you know, you face some, you know, some hardships because of that. You know, some varying of opinions from people. But thankfully, I had an older brother who was two years older than me and much stronger than most of the people in the school. 
So I had a kind of a pass when it came to bullying. It really worked out for me. So if you're going to have kids, have them two years apart and make sure one's really strong. <laughs> one's stronger than the other. One's stronger than the other because it's just going to it's going to be a necessary thing. <laughs> and we we met our freshman year in high school at uh-huh. Grove because at that point Madison. you guys were going to Groveport Madison, which is where I went. Yeah, I moved. I moved from Galloway schools. Uh, well, from Galloway, I moved from there to Groveport in the summer after eighth grade, which is like the worst time ever to move if you're a kid yeah. because you're just like, are you kidding me? You're like, I just spent all this time securing all my friends, making plans for high school and the future, which I have no concept of because <laughs> I'm in eighth grade. But then I have to make all new friends all over again. Yeah. But then we met, so it was fine. It was yeah. Great. We met actually, I think we met in art class, but af- we also became friends because we were both interested in drama club, which was, it was called the drama club back then. I don't know why, but <laughs> basically theater club. And we were in plays together yes. and we grew up, I mean, we basically grew up together because then we ended up going to Ohio University together. Same college, yeah. <laughs> but let's take it back a little bit. In high school, did you always feel like you were accepted for who you were? Um, accepted. As you were, I should say. Hmm. I'd say yes. I'd say absolutely I was. I mean, I think the only person that really judged me in high school would be me. I mean, it's the typical, you know, where you never think you're good enough because of what you see, you know, what your influences are. But I think everybody else was very accepting. <laughs> so you never felt like you had to change who you were to be accepted or fit in? Oh, no, 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 no. You always adapt. Well, let me get that part straight. You um, adapt. You adapt to wherever you are. How so? Um, like, when it would be different when I would go to school, you know, in Groveport where, the, where there were very few minorities than when I'd, say, go visit my cousins who lived in the predominantly black area of the city. It's a completely different, like, especially being a kid – you have to act differently to kind of navigate both environments because you set yourself up for criticism by acting either way. Like my cousins would make fun of me for sounding too educated. They would, they were like, Oh, you think you're smart or something? And I'm like, no, I I'm am pretty sure I'm smart. Like it's, <laughs> and I'm not going to brag, but I'm pretty sure I got some education in me, <laughs> but that, that would make me an outcast in that community. You know, whereas if I, you know, portrayed a behavior like my cousins in you know, the community I was in, it's, it made people kind of shy away, like, oh, wait, this is one of those angry young black youths. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to fit in. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, but I guess, I guess it worked now. It worked for my career today. So you just kind of, you got to learn to be a chameleon. So you learn to adapt. That's so interesting because mm-hmm. now I realize why I couldn't figure it out. I, I didn't adapt. I kind of did. I oh, kind yeah. of, kind of molded a little bit and Wanted to be like all the other girls, but it was really hard because well, at the same time I was fighting my inner, like, mm-hmm. no, I want to be unique. I want to be who I am. But then I couldn't be who I was and be accepted because, as you said, we were the very few minorities right. in that school. So I well, never felt like is, I could adapt. I, you adapt, like you adapt behavior. Like if you're going to, if you're in a village full of people who all walk with a hunch, you probably shouldn't stand up straight. Like, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. However, you don't adapt your personality. You always stay who you are, you know, but you do adjust adjust things like, you know, we, we put on fancier clothing when we go to upscale places. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have a little bit more dinner etiquette when we go out to a really nice restaurant. That doesn't change who you are. It's just adapting to your environment. 
So in high school, what did adapt mean to you? Um, well, I felt the need to, because I, I mean, I noticed a lot of the guys, especially the popular ones, played sports. So I felt the need to do that at the beginning of high school. And then I realized that's terrible and I don't like to run. <laughs> so pretty much all sports involve running, which is silly. I'm like, save all that energy for later in life. Like, <laughs> nobody when they're 90 is like, man, I'm glad I ran all those miles. Like, <laughs> Did you feel like being in theater club was actually true to who you were, true, true to your personality back then? Back then, I did because I'm a, I'm a music buff. I'm, I love I love music. That's how I got started when I was a kid. Oh, that's right. Um, you were in band too. Yep, I've, I've been in bands since since school. <laughs> but um, I I found theater to be very fun in a in a way that you can express yourself. It's a very it's like a safe space, even though some scenarios it's not the safest of environments for everybody. A lot of group changing rooms, which are very awkward. <laughs> but it's a safe space in that you can express yourself artistically. And that, for me, was important, even though at the time I had no concept that, that you know, what I'd done in high school would lay the seeds for what I do now, you know, because it's, it's been a bunch of jobs in between. <laughs> so then we went from high school to college, as I said before, mm-hmm. and you joined, I'll never forget this. No podcast. It's like we were hanging out our freshman year, we're having a great time, <laughs> and then suddenly we lost Urban, and it was like the sophomore yeah. year, we come back to school, and we're like, well, where did Urban go? I don't know. Well, I guess we'll run into him eventually, because this is all like pre-cell phone era. And then right? we- Right, remember the good old days <laughs> when you had to actually physically find a human being? like <laughs> Or call them on the phone at their dorm room. Exactly. If you aren't standing <laughs> there, you missed that call. That's just how it works. So then suddenly- we end up at a party and we run into Urban at a Jewish fraternity. Yep. Which, if you know him or would know him, you know how weird that is and out of character, I guess. So can you please tell me how you ended up in this Jewish fraternity? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't say it without laughing. Because <laughs> it was so random. Best. Um... I was uh, I would hang out freshman year on the south side of campus, which sounds like a bad area because like the south side <laughs> of anywhere is usually a bad area, but it's not. It's just where all like they stick all the hippies. Like they're just like you kids play your ultimate frisbee by the fields. You know it's, that's where they stick all the hippies. So I'd hang out there, and I'd hang out with this guy at the dorms, and named Dave. And Dave was you know he's our age. He's from Cleveland. He's a Jewish guy. And he was telling me about this fraternity, A.E. Pi. And I was like, I don't know. I, you know, I'd probably, you know, I'm thinking I'm a black guy. I should probably join a black fraternity and, you know, further not stick out. Like, <laughs> maybe try to go with, the, go with the flow of things. But uh, he took me to a party with, uh, with the fraternity, and I enjoyed every second of it. I think I remember waking up the next morning on the lawn next to my dorm, not making it indoors. And I think I was like, you know what? This seems like it's a win. This seems like the right decision for this point in my life. <laughs> Plus, I really do. I really do like exploring other cultures. What was the biggest lesson from that experience for you? Um, it's to literally take everybody at face value. Don't make assumptions. Like, don't make assumptions about anybody. Because I have never seen more bacon eaten in my life. <laughs> in my entire life. And it wasn't even me eating the bacon. <laughs> Which was really weird because when you live with 14 guys and only one of them's black and it smells like bacon like 24 hours a day, you would assume. You would assume, <laughs> but no, 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 it was not. <laughs> but um, no, you just, you take people, 
you know, you take people how they are. You don't make assumptions of who they, who you want them to be or what your, you know, your fears reflect onto them as it's, you just kind of accept people, you know, follow, you know, follow your heart, (laughs) follow your heart, follow your ambition. You know, if you want to, if you want to learn something, dive in. So what happened after that? You left OU early, I might add. Ooh, the dark ages. (laughs) And that's when we lost him again, folks, just so you know. (laughs) That's when he disappeared again. After OU, um, as most colleges train you to be a professional partier, but don't (laughs) tell you how to turn that off. Um, I kind of wandered around from job to job, uh, including a nice stint at Chase Bank. That was fun. Um, Corporate life, yay. That was really for someone like me. Um, I was teaching for a bit. I taught music uh, in Southeast Ohio. And I didn't, I loved that because I love music, but I didn't like the job because it was just, uh, it was one too many obstacles stacked in, in the wrong direction. You know, it was like I had to deal with the fact that I was probably the only minority in the whole county. And then on top of that, I'm clearly the only minority at the school. And then it's just high schoolers. They're terrible. Like, they're just terrible. Yeah. Like, zero respect. They're just, oh. But I can't blame them completely because it was partially me. I wasn't fulfilled with my career at the time. So it was probably best that when I left, I left. You know, just give a fair opportunity to the kids to get somebody in there who's going to be more focused and driven towards, you know, enriching their lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you taught. You worked. Yeah. yeah. And then finally... Something clicked when you decided that oh, you weren't living your your no. dream or what? So it really happened by accident. Like, and that's kind of why you have to go with things in life because you never know where it's going to lead you. You kind of just have to take every experience and run with it. And I had done a movie with a buddy of mine while we were at OU. Which friend was um, this? Travis Irvine. He's uh, Shout running. Shout out to Travis. Yep. He's running for libertarian candidate for governor of Ohio right now. Vote, vote I forgot in about that. I forgot about that. We are not endorsing any candidates in this show, just to be clear. I don't endorse candidates, just friends. <laughs> All right. Continue. Yes. <laughs> Sorry to derail so you. I made a movie with him and um it got um it got picked up for distribution and it got shown at a film festival in Indiana. And he calls me up one day and he's like, Hey, do you want to go to this film festival? They're showing the movie. And mind you, I'm in the movie for like 15 seconds. And I'm like, nah, I don't know. You know, I'm really not, you know, I'm not doing much. I'm trying to find a job right now. And he's like, well, hey, it's free food and free booze all weekend. And I'm like, all right, so you, you can pick me up now, right? I'm, I'm ready. Let's, let's go to this. And I go to this film festival in Indiana. And we enjoy ourselves a little bit, a little bit to excess, but we enjoy ourselves. And the opening day of this film festival, there's a band playing on stage and the drummer goes outside to, I guess, have a cigarette or whatever, and I jump on stage while pretty intoxicated because I'm a drummer. And I'm like, I can fill in. This guy's gone. I can take over right now. And I start playing with the band, and I'm keeping up at everything, and they're enjoying it. And then after a couple of songs, I managed to grab the microphone from the lead singer, and I start telling jokes. I don't remember this part of the evening so much. So about six months later... I get a phone call from a guy named Bill. He's a producer. And he's, he's like, hey, I saw you at the film festival in Indiana. And I'm like, all right, did I break something? Um, I, I apologize. I'll pay for it. No problem. I, it, was, it was a fun weekend. 
And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I was there and I thought you were really funny. I'm doing a movie. Do you want a role? And that's really how I got into acting is just, I did the role and I went to the premiere of that film a year later. And this sweet old lady comes up to me after the premiere. I'm standing outside. She comes up to me and she says, you're the funniest thing in the whole film. And I felt so honored at that compliment that literally I decided that night that I was going to move to L.A. and pursue a career as an actor. And two weeks later, I was here. You weren't afraid? No. You can't be afraid of trying to succeed. I mean, especially if you've already failed. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've failed at a lot of things in life. So this was either going to be another one of the failures or something that worked. What were some of these failures that you're referring to? Oh, man, when I worked at Chase Bank, that was a failure for me. <laughs> like, okay, so I'm not good at cubicle life, and that's a real problem in this country is people are, I don't think people are supposed to be in cubicles. It's, like, not humane. So I was really bad at that job. And I would try to find excuses to, like, get off of, like, get off of work. And, like, even while I was, like, logged in, I'd go to the bathroom, like, six times a day and just sit there just to not have to be at my desk. I was just really bad at the job. But the weird part was I made a lot of money for the bank when I was there. That's the part that was confusing. I was like, I'm actually good at this job. I just don't like the job. Mm-hmm. So after like a year, I just walked out one day, like mid-shift, just got up and walked out. Didn't even log out of my computer, just walked out and went home. And about a week later, I get a phone call, my boss, and she's like, hey, Irvin, uh, haven't seen you in a little <laughs> bit. Uh, you, you coming back to work? And I'm like... I, after a week of no call, no show, I still have a job. I was like, amazing. Yeah, I was like, apparently my performance was really good, but no, I will not be returning. <laughs> I was like, I have to do something or anything else in life right now. This is just taking everything out of me. You just walked out of a job like that? Yep. Wow. If you know something's not right, it's not right. It's yeah. so everybody's been through this where we've been at a place where we get the worst service possible mm-hmm. by like the angriest person on the planet. Mm-hmm. That's a person who really does not want that job. Yeah. But they have this fear in their stomach of leaving because they don't know the, the, the uncertainty. Will I find another job? Yeah. You know, I have bills to pay. I'm in, a, I'm in a financial situation where I can't. And I understand all those. Believe you me, I've understood and been in all those situations. But at the end of the day, if you're not happy with where you're working, do something else. Because there's somebody right now waiting on that job yeah. who would be more than happy to do what you're doing. And thus, they would do it better. There's some people that would do nothing more in life than to just love working at the post office. Now, unfortunately, they don't get jobs at the post office. The people at the post office get jobs at the post office. And they're always angry. And they're super angry because they don't <laughs> want to work at the post office. I'm like, just leave. Go do, go do anything else. And if there's not a job, create one. Actually, I shouldn't say that because uh, the people at my post office seem to be nice. And that's nice. That's a nice change. I feel like it's more like... The people at the DMV are always see, angry. See, and that's the Those thing. people hate their who, jobs. Who like grew up and was like, hey, Billy, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to work at the DMV. <laughs> Nobody yeah. has ever said that in their life. Like that is like the, that's the job when you're out of options. You just, you yeah. go to the DMV. That's got to be a really tough job too because if it's, you, oh, it's super hard. Because yeah. if you think about it, you get all the angry people, annoyed people, people who are impatient, uh, teenagers getting their license. It's got to be an incredibly hard job. But it just seems like everybody there is just dismally angry at their lives. They're just like, I hate everything about this. And I'm like, just leave. Somebody else would love to do that job. I feel like people had the opportunity to do what they loved. Everything worked a lot smoother. Do you feel like all of these experiences that you had before becoming an actor helped you in becoming an actor? Oh, yeah. Especially the failures. That's, that's it. That's like, that's the gold of life. 
You know, people think it's like those really good, you know, like, oh, I'm staring out into a meadow moments. Like, no, 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 no. What really forges you is those moments where you're like, I don't know if I have a place to stay tonight or I don't know what I'm going to eat today. Like, those are moments that really forge your character. And that gets you ready for anything. You know, it's what they say, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And it does. I'm not saying that you should try the theory. Don't drink bleach. It, it might not kill you, but you're not going to enjoy what happens after either. <laughs> so just like, you know, just <laughs> let that one go. <laughs> Everybody fails. But when you fail a lot, you stop becoming afraid of failing. Like, and in, and in acting, this is, this is like day-to-day -day rejection. You get used to it. You become tougher. You turn all of that, that anger towards your art. You know, you turn it into a passion. You know, you have to be incredibly determined to do this. It's like the art of being basically downtime and broke. Like you have to be able to master both of those for a long time. And then it finally works. Tell me about your first few months in L.A. because you had some of those experiences. Oh, yeah. Initially. Oh, yeah. Of not knowing where you were going to sleep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Tell, can you talk about that? Oh, yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> I was not prepared for the housing price when I moved to California. You didn't do any research? I, I told you I decided to move here, and two <laughs> weeks later, I was here. I had no planning. I didn't even have a place to stay when I got here. I had to book a hotel that night. But, um, yeah, no, I moved out to California like everybody who's going to pursue a career in acting with a head full of dreams and no practical idea of what was going to happen. Because you just you can't really plan on it. You're just like, oh, I'm going to come out here. I'm going to change everything. The industry's going to love me. You know, within a year, I'll be a working actor. And that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. And if it does, I actually feel worse for you because it's something to taste that early. But the only way to do this is career building. To me, it's better to start small. You start small and you work your way up. Now, my first year here was starting extraordinarily small because I had no concept of how to do anything in this business. All I knew was that people told me I was funny. That's all I had to go on. I was like, that'll work. I was like, that's enough. <laughs> One person told me I was funny. That sweet, sweet 80-year-old woman outside of a theater in Indiana. That's enough. That's all the motivation I need to do this. But I was not getting like any work. But uh, I'm out here and I, I finally get a call from Central Casting saying, hey, um, you want to be on the show Californication? I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm thinking, okay, I'll show up. It'll be like one day I'll get free lunch and $64. You know, it's, it's horrible. At the time, that was the going rate for background at $8 an hour. But it's free lunch, though. <laughs> like, It's free catered lunch, though. <laughs> All right. So I show up, and it's not just for one day. It's for five weeks. I'm there for five weeks' time doing five episodes of the show. Still just background, but um, we ended up being – um, we ended up being part of RZA from Wu-Tang Clan. We ended up being part of RZA's entourage. So we got to hang out with RZA for five weeks. And that's like the first celebrity I really got to hang out with. And I was like, oh, this is sweet, man. You know, it's, I grew up listening to his music. So it was really cool to just kind of be in his presence. And like, he's a really, really, he's a really intelligent guy. Not like these kids these days. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, little fill in the blanks. <laughs> sound so old. <laughs> these kids these days. These children and their hippity-hop music. But after we finished shooting that show, mind you, when we're finishing, while we're shooting that show, I had lost the apartment I was in. I was like, I was living at a Motel 6 in Somar. <gasps> uh, which if you've ever been to Somar or a Motel 6, you'll understand. 
You'll understand both sides of that pain. Thankfully, I, I cannot relate to that. Shout out to my people in Silmardo. Y'all dope. <laughs> but I was living at a Motel 6, like, eating out of the vending machines. Like, it was, it was really bad. Oh, my God. I was, like, broke, broke. And still going to set, showing up. So I finally, after we finished shooting, I finally am like, okay, I'm going back to Ohio. I was like, no harm, no foul. Gave it my best. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to head back. So I go back to Ohio. And a couple months later, I get an email from a guy. And he said, hey, um, I'm doing a pilot. If we fly you out here and pay you, do you want to do it? I was like, yeah, why not? Yeah, let's go with that. I'm not doing anything in Ohio at the time anyway. I was like still in between jobs. I had just gotten fired from Save the Children, which is really awkward. You know, really awkward. I'm like, <laughs> it's one of my shameful moments in life. I did get fired from a charity for <laughs> oh children. Oh, my gosh. Because I didn't raise enough money for children. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you you came back to Cali? Came back to California. Um, at this point, um, I was trying to still just submit for any amount of work I could. And um, I look online on uh, this place called IMDb, Internet Movie Database, and it shows the Californication episodes. So I'm like, I know it's background, but I'm going to put it on my resume. Yeah. You know, that way it's something on right. there. But how they listed the credit was instead of saying uncredited for background, it listed as credited, as if I was a recurring member of this TV show. Oh. That usually does not nice. happen. It does not happen. It's a super rarity. That's luck, man. It's yeah. This is this is how this all weirdly started. Is I had listed as a credit as credited, like I'm a recurring member of the show. <laughs> so I'm looking through um, IMDb's casting notices, and I see a notice for a management company looking for actors to represent. And I submit my resume and my IMDb link saying it's credited, <laughs> and they call me the next day and say, "Hey, we want to set up a meeting." I'm like. Okay, this is like my first anything that's gone well for me. And, you know, in this town, I'm like, all right, this is it. We go set up a meeting, and they were like, so you were on Californication. I was like, yep. And they were like, five episodes. I'm like, yep. And they're like, well, hey, you seem like a really cool dude. We definitely want to sign you. And I'm like, all right, I I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they're like, we're going to set you up with an agent. Go meet her on Monday. And, you know, I, I I meet her that following Monday. And she's like, you're on Californication, five episodes? And I'm like, yep. And she's like, I want to sign you. And so I get, I get an agent and a manager in the course of four days. And a couple weeks later, IMDb corrects the credits so where it shows uncredited. Oh. My manager calls me and he's like, hey, was that Californication background? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, that's the smartest thing you ever could have did. Like, <laughs> we can't drop you. You're in a year-long contract. So I ended up getting representation from doing background work. Not Which is unheard of, apparently. Completely unheard of. Oh. It's not something that happens. So then you're on a one-year contract, and the, I mean, the agent contract, wasn't mad at you or anything? <laughs> agent was a little upset. <laughs> well, you didn't like, lie. I didn't lie. I didn't right. lie. So you can't fate, get into IMDb and change one. things, right? I can't. No, fate right. designed this one. Yeah. I didn't pick That's anything on this. I was like, eh, if it works, it works. Go That's with it. amazing. <laughs> and the first audition I had with my manager for a speaking role on Parks and Recreation. And I booked it. So at that point, yep. they, were, they stopped being upset. They're like, okay, he can do it. Like, it was like, once you prove yourself once, everybody's like, okay, you're yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, it went on from there. And um, I'm still with my same, the same manager to this day. Oh, hey. Eight that's... years later, we are still together. <laughs> the, uh, the guys at Entertainment Lab are amazing. Absolutely amazing. And what, what are you, um, like, what are you working on now? Or what have been some of the latest projects? 
strangely enough, I'm kind of in the circle of my life right now. Is what I'm working on now is called Killer Raccoons Two. Oh, and it's the sequel the to the first movie? movie that I was in for like 15 <laughs> seconds. We we got together years later and we decided to do the sequel. Are you writing too? Are you writing this on this? No, film? no, no, no. I didn't write for this one. Okay. This one, my my buddy Travis had Travis Irvine, <laughs> Travis Irvine, forget <laughs> another show. <shout-out. laughs> he had uh, wrote this, you know, a couple years earlier, and you know, and amongst our group of friends who were all people from the movie, the first movie. We're all like, yeah, he's not going to make a sequel. There's no way he's saying it, but he's not really going to do it. And then he got it all together. He made it all just come together and work. Yeah, Travis has a way of making things he does. happen. He very much so does. Anyway, I know nothing about his agenda, though, so I can't really endorse. <laughs> Maybe True. we'll have him on the show so he can tell us. Um, he'll probably be the only candidate who will talk to me anyway. So, <laughs> See, what kind of candidate doesn't talk to people? I'm interrupting this awesome episode to ask you a favor. Will you take a few seconds to leave a review? Tell me what other topics you would like to hear on the show. It takes less than 30 seconds to write a review and you can help change lives. Okay, I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but that's the kind of impact that Diferente is all about. A brighter outlook, a different perspective. All of this can be life transforming. Okay, we talked a little bit about how you've embraced being different. You've embraced being who you are, being unique, but you've also learned to adapt Have you had to adapt in any way here in L.A. being an actor? Meaning, like, have you had mm-hmm. to change anything about who you are or what you look like? Um, well, it's the longest my hair has ever been. Um, Is that for acting purposes? <laughs> actually, yeah, because I, I stopped cutting it for a minute and I was getting some good roles, but then I didn't want to just trim it back down to where it was. So I just kind of kept letting it go and then I kept looking more roles and Now, like I go into auditions and like that's the first thing that's said is that people compliment my hair. And I'm like, oh, well, cool. I, thank you. I didn't I also didn't know I could grow dreadlocks either. But thank you. And I was like, so people people love it now. So I, now I have to keep it. Okay, so that must be tough because I feel like anybody else, they could cut their hair whenever they wanted to. Yeah. They could change their, you know, style their They could dye their hair. You can't do anything to it. Not Not without like clearing it. Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be very careful as to what you do. Like if you find something that everybody likes, you stick. You stick with it until something new comes. Then you're just like, okay, let me keep evolving. Does that mean you're being typecast? Do you feel that way? Oh, everybody gets typecast. Okay. Everybody gets typecast. It's the way of it. Thankfully, though, I mean, for being a black guy with dreads, I do not get hired for black guy with dread roles. Let's like, like any of the roles you would see in like gangster stuff, I just don't get hired for that. I'm like, hmm, all right. So what's the, I guess that's my curiosity. What do you, why, why do they want the black guy with dreads and in what roles specifically? It's because it's, 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 it's urban. It's like, it's, it's, it's urban, but it's not like dangerous, I guess is the way to put it's, that. It's non-threatening like, urban? Non-threatening <laughs> urban. There we go. It's, it's urban edgy. It's urban chic. <laughs> No, that's what it is. It's like, coined the term urban chic. Exactly. It is, it's urban chic. I'm just, that's going to be my whole clothing brand is urban chic. Like, and, it, and it rhymes with urban. Yes. Your name. So that's See? fantastic <laughs> marketing right there. But it's, um, it's, everybody gets typecast into something. I mean, but your constant goal is to try to break out of that mold while still working. Because let's be clear, you don't just want to start turning down work, especially at the beginning of your career, because you're going to need it. Like that you have to, this is a big marathon. You have to build a resume. You have to build a rapport with casting directors, producers, directors, you know, all of it. You have to build this whole image. What kind of roles have you played that you would, that 
you would say are not necessarily stereotypical? I play a lot of security guards and cops, which is very <laughs> awkward for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll spare you the details, but of my college t- career, this is a super awkward role for me to play. Like, I'm just like, wait a minute. And it's funny because I'll put on the costume, I'll be in the dressing room. And I'm like, okay, I'm a sheriff now. And I'm, I'm looking at myself and I laugh because I'm like, I don't look like a sheriff. Like, right, a sheriff like of a sh- where? Exactly. And, am I the sheriff of Dunkin' Donut Land? Like, <laughs> where, where am I the sheriff of? Who am I chasing in a foot pursuit? No one. <laughs> like, not at all. But I'm like, they're like, nope, but he's really funny. And I'm like, okie dokie, I'll keep doing uh-huh. this then. I'm like, but I mean, I, I love the jobs I get. I love the people I work with. So, What are the kind of roles that you wish you were getting more of? Um, I would love to do more drama. That's like, that's my, that's my bread and butter. Like, that's what I love. I, I mean, I've been making people laugh since, I don't know, birth. I imagine sometime around birth. Imagine I came out and the doctor was like, wow, that kid's funny. Like, <laughs> it was like a slip and slide and people tossed me in the air and it was crazy. But anyway, I'm pretty sure that's how it went down. I don't remember so well, but I'm pretty sure that's how it went down. But when I do anything involving drama, that's when I really feel like, I'm doing the work as an actor, like develop, getting into character and mm-hmm. like building and, you know, creating the memories. And that's the part I really feel connected to because that's, it's almost like free therapy. Like for me, it's, it's just a super like free therapy. It's like, I can get all of the emotions that, you know, the emotions that we all bury down inside. This is the way you can express them in a safe way. That's what I'm writing towards. And I was like, you know, I'm like, basically if they're not going to give you the job, create the job. I, I agree with you because I feel like right now there's a lot more opportunity than there was 10, 20 years ago when oh, it yeah. comes to roles, leading roles for minorities. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like these leading roles for minorities, though, are written for people as unique as you? Well, here's the fun part is whatever they want, they'll make you look like. That's the weird part. Like, have you ever seen any movie with Samuel Jackson with hair? That's how it works. They knew he was bald, but they're like, we want him, so we'll put hair on him. Okay. Like, if they want me for anything, they'll shave my head, they'll mm-hmm. give me pay, they'll do whatever they want to do. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's the personality that does it. I think as this cultural shift that's going on right now happens, people want to identify more with not just people who've traditionally been the, the upper echelon creme of the creme of, you know, beautiful people of the world. They want to see more real Like, this week it shows, like, this is us. Like, it's just, it's such a good dramatic show. And it's not the most beautiful people ever. It's just, like, if you notice a lot of of shows now don't have, it's not always about, like, 50 people who are all models. Like, no, they have real people. You know, you see people with disabilities, you know, tall, short, you know, heavy set. You see it all now. And that's the trend I hope continues because that's really what makes the story real. That's what makes people connect to it. It's like... Like Forrest Gump, he was not literally the most attractive dude there, nor like the most in shape athletically, not the smartest dude by a long shot, but people love him. They can all identify with that person who's just genuine. Yeah. I'm like, that's, that's what we need in this and everything is just such a genuine. Give people that real experience. And I think that's what's going to make the huge difference moving forward in television film. What are like some of the rappiest experiences you've had as an actor? Um, Give me one, because I'm sure you've had I got, many. <laughs> I got told by a director once to play it like I was autistic. Oh. And that's because re- oh. I have I have two adopted brothers who are mentally handicapped. Oh. And that that was like one of those moments where I was like, 
really? I was like, what do you even mean by play it like I'm autistic? I was like, what is that? What is that? Yeah, what does that even mean? Thankfully, um, you know, I'll leave their names out of it, but yeah. thankfully the lead actor in the film stepped in and he lightened the situation by saying, oh, that's how I've been doing it the whole time. And it lightened the mood. It made everybody yeah. laugh because he knew, it, he knew it, it looked like a serious moment yeah. because I was visibly like, hey, man, what do you, what do you mean by yeah. that? Like, come on, man. Like, yeah. like we're, we're in a working environment. Yeah. You're clearly in charge. Like, I'm this, I'm the tiniest person on this set right now. Like, <laughs> like but hey, did, mm-hmm. a little bit insensitive comment, man. Like, you know, and I'm not trying to be sensitive about everything, but. Yeah. No, no, no. But I understand that you have an experience that's personally connecting you to right. that Like statement. if we were riding a car and I was like, hey, drive like Stevie. Like, you see what I'm saying? This would be a problem. Yeah. But if it was like, hey, 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 I yeah. take offense to that. Like, yeah. you see? Right. I'm like, so you don't. Yeah, especially if you have a personal connection to it. It's like. Yeah, it's the personal connection that makes a difference. And that's what we talk about all the time. And what I like to talk about with people is tell me about the experience that affected you and how you grew from that or what you learned from that experience. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, I try to stay away from discussing opinions on things that oh, we yeah. know nothing about. I try to bring, that's why I bring people on the show because I want to talk about their point of view through their own experience mm-hmm. because there's nothing more valid than a person's actual experience. Yeah, this is it. Like, this is, this is what I see. Yeah. Like, this is all I know. Absolutely. So, what kind of advice would you give to someone who is struggling to decide between staying somewhere they hate or staying at a job they dislike or hate and pursuing their dream? I'd say always pursue your dream. Always. Because the fun part about it is you're going to fail not pursuing your dream. So you might as well fail pursuing it. I mean, you're going to go through the same hardships no matter what you do. You might as well be happy when you're going through them. Like, that's the only saving grace at the end of the day is that I, like, I've had some very hard times here, but I love every second of what I do. So that's what makes me keep coming back. It makes me keep fighting every single day to keep getting further and further. You know, and I get it. Financially, not everybody can just up and leave a job. You know, there's situations, you have kids and all that stuff. But in those moments, I'd say, especially in those moments, you got someone looking up to you, show them what it's like to chase a dream. That way they chase theirs. And that way it breaks that whole cycle of just growing up, working till we're dead, and you know, and then it, And then regretting it. And then regretting never having lived. Like chase something. Don't just chase a paycheck, chase something. But chase something bigger than yourself. Going through all these experiences, some of them dark, some of them happy, many of them rough. What's kept you going? Because a lot of people Find it easier to lose themselves in drugs, in alcohol, in just whatever, other lifestyles. What's kept you grounded? Because LA can be, and it can really suck you in, in a bad way. Oh, the city could destroy it really quickly. And um, it's actually not even the city. It's just the city, you know, it breeds the environment in which you can destroy yourself. That's really all it is. It's just, but how I've managed to avoid a lot of the pitfalls of this is it's going to sound weird, but two things I make sure to do every single day. I try to watch at least one episode of any cartoon, any cartoon, preferably the older, the better. Like I love like Popeye, Tom and Jerry. Oh man. Like anything that I Parents grew up Parents don't on. show those cartoons anymore. They're Seriously. too violent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is too violent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Grand Theft Auto is right. not, but that's too, got it. <laughs> I was like, but I always watch at least one cartoon a day. 
And I literally try to take at least a couple of minutes a day just to laugh. Mm-hmm. That keeps me going. Because I realize it's, you know, I, I, I love my life. I love everything about it. You know, there's things I would change clearly. But that doesn't mean I'm, you know, I beat myself up about those things because I don't. Now, I know you've talked a little bit about how you deal with rejection, but how do you deal with criticism? I enjoy it. I actually enjoy it. That's the sick part about this business is with the rejection, you build up this kind of thing with like, I'm weary whenever, when anybody is always like, oh, you're the best, you're the best, you're so funny, you're so funny. I'm weary then. But when somebody's like, hey, that was all right. I'm like, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's an honest answer. I'm like, because that's the only way you really get better is not through the praise. It's through the criticism. You know, when somebody's like, oh, you could have done this better. Like, like, that's why I love my acting coach now is, you know, he'll tell me exactly what I did wrong. I think, and I'm thinking I walk in and I do a scene and I'm thinking I just killed it. And he's like, I can point at least 20 things wrong. And I'm like, okay, that, that helps. Keeping you humble. (laughs) It is because it does keep you humble. You know, you have to bring it back to a base level. Okay. So last question for you. Mm -hmm. I always ask my guests what their passion is and how the, how they define success, but I Pretty sure it's clear that we know what your passion is. Acting. Is that correct? In a way, yes. Okay. Tell me what. My what passion's else? always been in the art. Okay. Like whether it's music, acting. Unfortunately, I'm not great at drawing. But I've always had a passion to create. And it's it's something I've said since I was a kid. Like one of my ultimate goal forever is if I can make everybody in the world laugh just once. That's it. That's not not money, not fame, anything like that. Let's make everybody forget about their problems just once. Just for one brief moment in history. And I'll feel like I'm a success. That's all I ever wanted to do. And that's my that's my final question is how do you define success? I, to me, success is if I can look back over the, over my life and smile, I've succeeded. That's it. If I can look back over everything I've done, the good and the bad, and it's, in my mind, balanced more to good than bad. If I can still smile at the end of the day, I've succeeded. You know, money can't be a measure of success. Can't be. I mean, there's people who are broke and did amazing things. So it has to be something personal that you, you took advantage of every moment. You lived, you loved, you laughed. That's it. <laughs> That's a successful life. And so here we are. I want to thank Irvin because I think unintentionally, he said exactly what many of us needed to hear right now. Check back next week for our body positive and intuitive eating episode with anti-diet dietitian and fellow podcaster, Christy Harrison. This episode was produced with perseverance by a group of talented folks. Our editor is Ricardo Pujol, production assistant Paola Chueca. The track you listen to is called Silent Killers by indie artist Keegan Stromberg. Check out his other tracks on Spotify. He's awesome. And that's spelled K-E-A-G-A-N. Don't forget to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Diferente Podcast. I'm Maribel Quesada-Smith. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you like this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at Adiferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.